sports fan. My good wife is. And um, she is one of these fans that just loves all kinds of teams. Uh, she loves the uh, pro, uh, pro soccer team that we've got in Chattanooga. And she loves Georgia football, and she loves tennis, and she loves the Olympics, and basketball, March Madness, you know, and, and really kind of everything in between. But there's one love, oh boy, there's one love that's bigger and better and most important than all the rest, except for this guy, you know, that's, that's the biggest love of all. And that is the Atlanta Braves. She loves those Braves, has been a Braves fan forever. She gets so excited about the Braves that it's kind of contagious. And me, I'm not really much of a sports fan, but I get excited about the Braves too. Two times in the year. No, only really two times. I get excited at the end with the division playoffs and the World Series if they make it there. And I get excited way over at the very beginning during spring training. In fact, we got to go down to Florida a few years ago and go to one of these spring exhibition games. It was just the most fun. It was so exciting. And there's all this possibility of what's going to happen this next year. All right, so now I want to play a little game with you. I want you to imagine for a minute that we've all gone together now to an ex exhibition game in the springtime. And if you don't like the Braves, we've gone to some other team, okay? But we're, we're at one of these games, and we're all up in the stands. All right, so you see us there. There we are. We're sitting in the stands eating popcorn. We look out on the field, and there are no players all of a sudden, the manager comes to the pitcher's mound, he's got a microphone, and he starts pointing to people in the crowd, and he says, hey, hey, Barbara, I want you to come out, I want you to play shortstop. And, and, and he goes, you know, hey, Sandy, I want you to play catcher. And, and, you know, he goes, Kelly, he says, I want you to play out in left field. And he's looking up there, and he and he's looking at me, and so I'm, I'm trying to hide if I can. And he says, Tom, I want you to be the bat boy. <laughs> That's about all I can really do. Let's imagine that he actually calls every single one of us to come play on that field. Professional baseball. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Now, that's the question that's being asked in this section of the Gospel of Matthew. And that's being asked of people in Matthew's day, and that's being asked of you and me. Matthew is telling the story of how the Son of God entered into our world and brought this transformative power of heaven to earth. And it's the story of how Jesus begins his ministry and how he includes other people in it. And I don't know about you, but you know, if I'm going to have a professional ball team, if I'm going to have a group of you know, good disciples, I'm going to go after the professional folks, right? I mean, why, why didn't Jesus go after the folks that are over in Jerusalem? Why didn't he go after the scribes or the Pharisees, the teachers of the law? They were the ones that were the professionals. He didn't do that, did he? He went after the ordinary folks. He went after the untrained people. He went after sometimes the people that, in fact, were irreligious with their lives. In fact, it's such a scandal, really, that Jesus seems to choose the, like, 
the people who are on the fringe of things more than any. It's such a scandal that Matthew has to kind of uh, give evidence of why it's a good thing he did that. And that's, I think, why he includes this passage, this quote from Isaiah. He says, Jesus started his ministry in Galilee. And Galilee was considered like the worst possible place. Nobody in Jerusalem thought Galilee was good for anything. They're, they're, Galilee was a place where there were more Gentiles than there were Jews. It was a place that was far away from the center of religious influence and religious power. And yet, Matthew is saying, huh, that's the very place that Jesus begins his ministry. And it's with these untrained, ordinary, sometimes irreligious folks that Jesus seems to gather his team. Now that's a little hard to get our heads around because the truth is Jesus calls you and me too. And that's who we are. Ordinary, untrained, unprepared folks. Right? I'll tell you what's amazing though. To me it's amazing that Peter and James and John and Andrew get up and they follow him. In fact, there are a couple of lines in this scripture that I don't particularly like at all. But you, notice what, you notice what it says? It says, immediately they got up and they left their nets and their father and they followed him. And it, and it goes on and he says, immediately, you know, that, uh, that, they, that they left and followed him. Let, let's, say, let's say the president of the United States just happened to call you up one day. Now, you can choose a president you like. You, this is somebody you respect. Somebody called you up. The president called you up and said, I want you uh, to be a part of the team that I'm gathering to go on a special mission to colonize space. Now, you'd be willing to go, wouldn't you? You'd feel qualified to do that. Now, I expect Phil might, maybe Hank, but... The rest of us are like, no way. It's like we, would, we wouldn't feel like we could do that. I, I'm wondering why weren't the disciples feeling that way? And I'm wondering, because I think most of us kind of struggle with the call of God. I wonder why we don't see any of the struggle here. You know what? When I look at other, other uh, people in the Bible, they always struggle with the call of God. You remember Gideon? God called Gideon and and he gave him a pretty hard job. He was to pull down the, the statue of Baal that was in the center of the town square. Now, he was scared to do it. I, I, I'll admit that. But he said, God, give me a sign. He, was, he heard the call. He said, God, give me a sign. When God gave him a sign, he said, give me another sign, God. He wasn't sure. You remember Jonah? God called Jonah, right, to go to Nineveh. What has Jonah got? The exact opposite direction. Now Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, I think she, you know, is an example of one who responded to the call of God. But I've thought about Mary. Have you ever noticed how it all starts with the angel Gabriel right there in Nazareth? And then the next time you see Mary, where is she? She skedaddled up back to the hill country where her cousin Elizabeth is. And I'm just wondering, have things gotten a little difficult in following that call of God as an unwed, expectant mother in the little village where she lived? I bet so. 
How about Jeremiah? Jeremiah's first words to God after God calls him. I, I can't do it, God. I'm, I'm too young. I'm just a teenager. I can't possibly do this, God. To me, that's more how it really is. I think you and I do struggle with the call of God. We struggle to come out of the stands, to give up being a spectator, and to come out and really play the game on the field. Now, now look, it's a lot easier to be the spectator. The spectator is the Christian who comes to church, the Christian who watches online, the, the Christian who, you know, is, is sort of outwardly practicing faith on Sunday. But then it's kind of forgotten about the rest of the week. It's, it's, it's a lot harder to start following Jesus 24-7. It's a lot harder to say, Jesus, I'm going to let you be a part of my decisions about work. I'm going to let you be a part of my decisions about money. Jesus, I'm going to let you be a part of my decisions about how I use my time and my talents. You know, it's, it's harder when your neighbor has a need. And you have to make a decision. Am I going to give up doing what I want to do or am I going to help this neighbor? It's harder when you see a homeless person on the street. We're called to respond. It's harder when there's a volunteer need in the community, when we need to volunteer at the food pantry. It's harder when we need to volunteer at the church. It's harder when we need to volunteer at the school. That, that's what it means to actually begin to live as followers of Jesus 24-7, to let it impact our daily lives in every way. And I think you and I struggle with that. I struggle with it for sure. Eugene Peterson, in his book, um, Run with the Horses, talks about how Jeremiah struggled. And then we, you read the Jeremiah. Jeremiah struggled with the call of God his entire life. Not just at the beginning, but, but he, he wasn't sure his entire life. And, and so Eugene Peterson in his book envisions God having a conversation with Jeremiah about this call. And this is what he has God saying. He said, Jeremiah, life is difficult. Are, are you going to live cautiously or courageously? I called you to live at your best, to pursue righteousness, to sustain a drive toward excellence. He says, it's easier, I know, to relax in the embracing arms of the average. Easier but not better. Easier but not more significant. Easier but not more fulfilling. I called you to live a life of purpose far beyond what you think yourself capable of living and promise you that you will have adequate strength to fulfill your destiny. Why do people actually say yes to the call of God? I mean, why do Peter and James and John, you know, knowing the challenge, knowing the call, why, why do we say yes to the call of God? You know what I think? I think it's because we realize that the call of God is going to lead us to more significance. It's going to lead to a deeper sense of purpose about our lives. It's, it's going to lead to the awareness that God is with us and God is working in us in everything. You all know that uh, uh, this last week, two weeks ago, my brother-in-law, Jack, died. 
Suddenly, died of a heart attack. He was of Lynn's brothers and sisters. He was the youngest. Uh, he was so healthy. He didn't have any heart disease, no indications. He ate right. He was exercising. And he died of a massive heart attack. And I'm telling you, this experience, it blew us away. Um, truly devastated. The moment we got the phone call at the house, literally, you all, I, I found myself in the floor just overcome with grief and shock. And then my sister-in-law, the next day, my sister-in-law asked me if I would offer the eulogy. And I, I, I thought to myself, you know, I can't do that. I can hardly think about Jack and hold myself together. But my sister-in-law had asked. And it was a call. And I prayed about it and thought about it. And I finally decided I've got to. I've got to respond. And so I did. And you know, God was so kind in the midst of that. God was so good and helped me get through it. And I think gave me words that were able to celebrate his life and also to remind people of the power of Jesus' resurrection. And it was one of those moments where I didn't feel adequate at all. But God was there. And I think, I think that's really how it is for all of us when we decide to come out of the stands and to play the game that God calls us to play on the field. When we respond to that call, it's that moment where we discover that there's more to our lives than we had imagined. It's that moment where we realize that there really is a God. And that God loves us. And that God is with us. Helping us in this life. In everything we, we face. And so the question you and I have to answer. And we have to answer this not just once. But we have to answer it again and again and again in life. And that is. How will we respond to that invitation? Jesus is standing on the field. He's looking for people to play the game, to join him in this incredible mission, bringing God's love and grace to the world. And he looks at you, and he looks at you, and he looks at you, and he looks at me. And he says, will you come play? How will we respond? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit.